Good morning. If you would like a head start on where we'll be this morning, if you'd be turning to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and we'll begin there in just a moment. We are so grateful that you are with us, to our members especially. As members here, we're thankful for the opportunity to worship together. We're thankful to Brian for leading us in singing, and Charles, his thoughts in guiding us as time and preparation and helping us think about the Lord's Supper, and Bob for his prayer. If you're visiting with us, we're grateful that you are here as well and hope that you'll hang around for a moment, that we can have an opportunity to meet you and greet you and to get to know you. We do have lunch prepared, as we usually do, a potluck meal uh, that you can stay and and be with us. And then we invite everyone back, certainly for our afternoon service, as we'll be assembling together again this afternoon to talk about the idea of wisdom and knowledge and what the Bible says about those two things. As we think about lunch, though, just a moment, uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to have sandwiches. We sometimes do a theme uh, as opposed maybe to a potluck. Uh, Some of you may have plans with your family next Sunday. A lot of our folks will be out of town and not here. They'll be staying over in Nashville for the Lads to Leaders Convention through Sunday morning. But if you're going to be here, there is a sign-up sheet on the table in the foyer. And we're asking folks to bring enough sandwich meat for you and your family and maybe a couple of extra. uh, But then also sign up for some of the fixings that go along with sandwiches. Uh, And if you would sign up for that, if you plan to stay, uh, then we look forward to a lunch together next Sunday afternoon uh, as well. I did learn a hard lesson yesterday. Uh, If you want to grow the crowds here, if you want to see more folks come to the building, I just need to name drop Marvin uh, because we had a large crowd yesterday when they knew they were coming to honor Marvin. Uh, We appreciate all those who uh, came to be a part of that. I know he's appreciative of that. I gave him a hard time. I said, you get more folks here uh, than we do on Sunday to hear me. And of course, I'm being a little facetious there, but we love Marvin a lot and I appreciate being able to honor him and all those who came to be a part of it. If you have your Bible and you turn open to Acts chapter 10, as we think about the New Testament, there are so many great sermons in the New Testament. We've covered a few of those already over the years. A few years ago, I think it may have even been before 2020, we talked about Paul's message before Agrippa. And we kind of went through that that sermon, if you will, that lesson in in one take to try to understand maybe what it might have sounded like in that, that moment to hear Paul preach that sermon before Agrippa. We know that, of course, one of the greatest of all times that we think of is Acts chapter 2. As Peter is preaching there, what we commonly refer to as the first gospel sermon. But we, Peter, that's not the only time Peter preaches, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We think about Stephen, and we're going to get to him in just a moment as well in Acts chapter 7. And we read all of these sermons, and it's encouraging to us to think about what those sermons include. Because I know for myself and many other preachers, as we go week to week and year to year and try to understand what it is that we should preach, there are lots of topical things. We've talked about things like homosexuality or abortion or or other things that we think of. Sometimes you all give me suggestions, and I appreciate that, of, of topics that we can consider Sometimes we go through scripture, even as we have done uh, over the last month or so, as we've talked about Ezra and Nehemiah kind of in a series. But we never need to get too far away from simply thinking about Christ. And it would behoove us, even this morning, to consider together the Christ that Peter preached. Now, if you know anything about Peter's sermons and Paul's sermons, the Christ that that Peter preached is, is not different than he preached on other occasions. It's not different than what Paul said maybe, although maybe in a bit of a different format. Paul talked a lot about what he had been through, and Peter can't say those things. But when we think about what takes place in Acts chapter 10, we can find a pretty good outline 
And can I suggest to you also a pretty simple outline? If you have your bulletin in front of you and you follow along that way with our notes that we put into the bulletin, there's just five simple points, just, just very simple blanks when we think about the Christ that Peter preached. Now, we've mentioned and asked you to turn to Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> pardon me, and it is there where Peter is talking to the house of Cornelius. You go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 10 to understand a little bit about who Cornelius was. He was a, a well-known man. We might even go so far as to say that he was a good man. He has a vision in the first eight verses telling him to send for Peter. And beginning in verse number 9 through verse 16, Peter has a vision. And there's this whole lead up about them finding their way together. If you were with us on Wednesday nights, it's been several months ago now that we went through this study, but we studied the Holy Spirit and what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we said that Acts chapter 2 is a great moment in history because we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the church is established and it's wonderful. It sets the stage for what we are enjoying right here this morning. When I look around and see you sitting there and us together worshiping, it began with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. But while that is a great moment, Acts chapter 10 is also a great moment because without it, by the way, without Acts chapter 10, we wouldn't be here. Oh, the church might have been established, but it's not until Acts chapter 10 where we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit again and we see that the gospel is then open, the church is open to the Gentiles. You see, we're Gentiles, and as Gentiles, we didn't have an opportunity to be saved before Acts chapter 10. Well, now, sure, we did in a sense that Jesus shed his blood, and we're going to get there in a moment. We did in a sense that in Acts chapter 2, the church began, sure, but it's not until Acts chapter 10, with this sermon and with what takes place, with not only the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius' household, but also just baptism. Because we see also that while they have the Holy Spirit poured upon them, they're going to be baptized still as well in verses 47 and 48 where it's mentioned there. But what is it about that sermon? What can we learn from it? You see, the Christ that Peter preached, we see beginning in verse number 37, before we even get to our first point, was one that was proclaimed all throughout Judea. It was one that was proclaimed everywhere. Yes, for a time, up until Acts chapter 10, it was in a certain area, but now it's going to go into all the world, as Jesus himself would say. And let's notice here just a few things, and then this lesson will be yours. Number one, Peter preached the Christ that lived. Verse number 38, Peter says... How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were opposed by the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good. Note that this is the context here. He's not going about sowing discord. He's not about causing problems, but he is going about doing good. Good. By the way, that's the same encouragement that Paul gives to us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10 where he would say, Let us do good unto all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
We are to do good, not sow discord, not cause trouble, but to do good. This indicates Jesus' high use, if you will, of life. He, he made the most of every moment. He helped every person that he could. It is overwhelming. It is absolutely overwhelming to me sometimes to be on social media, to watch the news, and to think about how many people are in need of numerous things, various things. We have seen the people who have been touched by tornadoes around the world and especially in our neck of the woods and people that we know. We see people who have lost things. We see people who have cancer and sickness and death. We see people who lose loved ones to car accidents and kids who die. And all these things are, are tough for us to take in. But it's also a reminder that we should always be doing good, all that we can for everyone that we come in contact with. Good needs to be done and good could be done. Not only in Jesus' time, but even today. One of the things that he went about doing was he showed God to mankind. We think about John chapter 14 and verse number 9. Jesus himself there says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Can I suggest to you that I think that's a bit of a different context as Christ is the one saying that? But can I suggest to you that we have an opportunity to partake in that today? That we should be able as Christians to go out into the world and to say that people who have seen us have seen the Father. Because they've seen the way that we have lived. We don't have time this morning to go through every verse at every single moment. But we have seen and can see what Jesus did. Jesus administered to the sick. Jesus comforted the bereaved. Jesus fed the hungry. He went about making disciples. He even went about rebuking the Pharisees. He did. He stood up for truth. <clears throat> he told them when they were wrong. He made it clear what was right and what was wrong. All while helping those who were less fortunate and those who were sick. We may not be able to heal people. We may not be able to do the same things that he did. But we sure are able to go about doing good. The Christ that Peter preached didn't come to earth and sit on a throne and make everyone come to him. He didn't sit back and say, well, you know, I'm here, but I'm just going to take it easy and I expect you all to do the work. The Christ that Peter preached, he lived. And he lived by going about doing good. But secondly, this morning, the Christ that Peter preached, he died. We're working our way through this sermon, by the way. Verse 38 mentions that he lived. He went about doing good. Verse 39, though, says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Peter preached the crucifixion. You know, I strive to do that. Certainly at the end of the lesson, right? As we talk about salvation, we mention the fact that Christ shed his blood. He died on the cross. But how important is that aspect of his life? Because he could just be a great person, right? We talked about the fact that he lived. He could have just gone about living. He could have just been a good moral person. We talk about people like Mother Teresa 
or other folks who give their, their life or their money or whatever it might be, their time, to helping people. We know some pretty bad people, so to speak, who could do good things. But Jesus didn't just do good things. He also died. Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Colossians 2, 13 through 17. If Christ had not have died, we would not have an opportunity for salvation. It's here in verses 13 through 17 where Paul talks about Jesus dying hanging on the tree and that taking away the old law, that tearing down the barrier so that not just Jews could be God's special people, but all mankind could be God's special people. Verse 14 is an underlinable verse if you've never underlined it before, that he wiped out the old law, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. It was contrary to us. And he nailed it to the cross. So that we could have an opportunity to be alive together with him. Verse number 13. If Christ had not have died, we would not have opportunity for salvation. If Christ had not have died, the church would not have been established. You remember in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. As Paul is assembling there with the elders of Ephesus. And he says to them that elders are to shepherd the church of God which he, that's Jesus, purchased with his own blood. If it were not for the death of Christ, we would not have an opportunity. The church would not have been established. If Christ had not have died, I would not be able to live. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 10. He died for us that we should live together with him. We have an opportunity to be a part of the church. We have an opportunity to live. And we need to preach how he died according to the scriptures. When someone asks you, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the good news. But Paul says it very succinctly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 4. That Christ died according to the scriptures. And we need to be teaching that to people. He didn't just live but he also died. And he didn't just die of natural causes or of old age, but he gave his life. How wonderful it is to consider the fact that Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. He died. And by the way, this was the message of almost every sermon that you read in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2 there, on the day of Pentecost, in verse 23, Peter says, You have taken by lawless hands and crucified the Son of God. In Acts chapter 4, in verse number 10, Peter again in a sermon says, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And even Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, and verse 52, The just one whom you have become betrayers and murderers. You see, gospel preaching, preaching Christ is the Christ who died. It's not fun to think about. It's sometimes very painful and it should cause us shame and guilt, but it's the Christ who died. But then in connection with that and with our first point, and please notice very carefully the change in letter, Peter preached the Christ that lives with an S. 
right? Not a D. Yes, we said in point number one, he lived. But how beautiful it is that he lives. The resurrection. Notice that the text there in Acts, excuse me, yes, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verses 40 and 41 says specifically that it was on the third day. Verse 39, this Jesus whom they killed by hanging on a tree, this Christ died, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Verse 40, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. He didn't just live and he didn't just die, but he lives. Jesus foretold of this in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 21. You know, we often get frustrated at the apostles and others who stood by him and heard him say these things, and yet they act so amazed and they don't understand. But he says it there, Matthew 16, 21, that he would rise again. We see that in Mark chapter 16, verse number 9. Luke 24, verses 1 through 7. And even the beautiful picture in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus is there before he ascends into heaven. Luke begins the book of Acts there in verse number 3 by saying, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. There's no denying it, folks. There's no denying it. I know you weren't there. And I know I wasn't there, but Luke records for us with many infallible proofs. Yes, he lives. The resurrection is such an important part of this message. Of this message. How many great people, how many great people have lived and died? So many who have done so many things. Smart men and women who have helped in the field of science and, and learning about the world of, around us. So many who have helped in the field of medicine. So many people who are just great folks. And many, by the way, who I would make mention of, of your own family and friends. People of this congregation who you won't read about in a textbook. Who may not be known throughout the country or the world. But great people who lived and died. If that was where Peter stopped his sermon, we would have a problem. We emphasize his death. We appreciate again Charles' thoughts in leading us in that and reminding us how important it is that we think about that each first day of the week. Have you ever forgot about God or Christ between Sunday to Sunday? Have you ever had so much stuff going on and so much sin in your life or so much trouble that by the time Sunday rolls around again, you've forgotten about Christ and his death? We're thankful that not only are we told to do it, but we see the example and we can remember his death. But let us not forgive, forget that he lives, that it is the resurrection that is also important to this Christ. And when Peter preaches about him and when we preach about him, we have to remember the resurrection. He said he would rise. What if he had said that he would rise and he didn't? We'd have a problem. Jesus, the Christ that Peter preached, also lives. Number four. Peter preached the Christ who saves. If I can ask you, if you're still there in Acts chapter 10, to skip verse 42 for just a moment. Let's look at verse 43. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. It is 
the good news that Jesus lived, he died, and he lives again so that we could be saved. The Christ that Peter preached, he saves. And Peter has to. He has to include this in this sermon. If it's a gospel sermon about Christ, it needs to include the idea that he saves. In just a moment, we're about to put two slides up on the screen. One important that talks about the gospel plan of salvation. We do it every service, just about. Certainly every Sunday morning. And some people look at that and they say, well, you know what? That's not in the Bible. Nowhere does it say, thou shalt extend the invitation. Right? Nowhere does it say that we have to do that. And there are places today who are even getting away from that, kind of. And some people will look at it and they'll say it's a tradition. Because it doesn't say we have to do it. And I understand what they're meaning. But can I also remind you that a sermon that's about Jesus needs to also include the idea that he saves. Once again, people can know that he lived and he died and even that he lives again. But they need to know that it is Jesus that saves. The Hebrew writer would tell us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 4 that it's not the blood of bulls and goats that takes away sin. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 that it is not ourselves that can save ourselves. It's not us. Verse number 9 says it's not by works. You can show up here every Sunday. You can show up here every day. You can give all your money, but it's not of works lest we should boast about what we have done. It is Jesus who saves. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 says that Christ died once so that he might appear a second time. Why? For salvation. Because Jesus saves. And of course, while we're talking about Peter, and we're talking about Peter's sermons, in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter here again is preaching, and he says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There's a, a popular song that's been written more recently, No Other Name But Jesus. That is where salvation is found. Again, we could go through and list a long list of people, great people who have done good things, but they cannot save. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do enough works, but if we're going to preach Christ, we must preach the Christ who saves. Fifth and finally, and maybe a little more seriously, Peter preached the Christ who judges. I ask you to skip over verse 42 for just a moment, but let's go back and notice there. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Peter quotes that or says that here in Acts chapter 10, but it's not the only place that we read that in Scripture. Jesus himself says it in John chapter 5. In verse number 22, when he says, the Father has committed all judgment to him. It's going to be his job to judge. The Hebrew writer, again, this time Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27. As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We spend a lot of our lives trying not to be judged for the most part, right? We do things sometimes that draw attention to ourselves or maybe to be seen. But for the most part, many of us spend our lives trying not to be judged. I'm, I'm a people pleaser probably most of the time. 
I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. And so, so I'll do those things. I don't want to be judged. I don't, I don't want people to look at me and judge me for things. But I want to be accepted. We spend some of our life trying to avoid judgment. Even taking it into the realm of politics and government, right? Think about getting a, a speeding ticket or committing a crime. We avoid wanting to go before a judge and be judged. But the Bible is very clear that while it's good news that Jesus lived and he died and he lives again, and it's wonderful to think about the fact that he saves, that whether you like it or not, whether it's a message that the world wants to hear or not, the Christ that Peter preached is the Christ who judges. And the question is simple. It's why we do extend heaven's invitation at the end of every service, regardless of whether or not we use the slides we're about to show in just a moment or not. The question is, are you ready for judgment? You know, whether it be the sermons that we preach here on Sundays or how I stand down here at the front on Wednesday nights and try to think of some verses or, or something encouraging to, to ask you to think about your life, it really, every time, boils down to, are you ready for the judgment? Now, that's not necessarily uh, appealing or appetizing for us to consider, but it's still true. It's not something we want to think about. But are you ready for the judgment? On Wednesday nights here in the auditorium, I know the ladies have had their class and been going through that. But we've been looking at the parables. And we have emphasized already several parables that talk about the judgment. You know that Jesus told those parables so that we would have a, a story, an earthly story that would cause us to think about heavenly things. And a lot of times it has to do with judgment. We don't want to think about it. It doesn't make us feel comfortable many times. <clears throat> but as we know, the message of the Bible is we don't have to fear the judgment. We don't have to fear Christ judging us because Christ also saves us. And how wonderful it is to know that he can take on all five of these things that we have talked about this morning. As we conclude this lesson, can I ask you to consider for just a moment, what Jesus are we preaching? Quote, unquote. I know you members who have been here a long time have always talked about Bill saying it in sermons and various things. And, and we all say it from time to time. But people see how we live. They'll hear us sometimes, but they also want to see. The preacher gets up and he says, not only do you have to talk the talk, but you have to walk the walk. Yes, without a doubt, we preach Christ every day of our lives. You may not go into an office anymore. You may be retired. Some of you may work home from home remotely now with the way things have changed. But can I tell you that you're not done preaching Christ to everyone that you come in contact with? If you have a spouse, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you do go to work, if you go to the store, if you go to the ball field, in anywhere in between, you have an opportunity to preach Christ. Would you preach the Christ that Peter preached? Would you preach the gospel that he lived and he died and he lives again? Would you share with people the good news that he saves and also the challenging news that he judges? Because all that is part of Christ. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to be ashamed of it. But we should, as Peter did, both in Acts 2 and Acts 4 and Acts 10. And I have a, have a feeling every moment he could, we need to preach Christ in the ways that we've mentioned here this morning. You know, the Christ that Peter preached, 
he shed his blood. And we're about to sing in just a moment the song that reminds us that there is power in that blood. As we say each Lord's Day, God has given us a simple plan of salvation. And we can be obedient to that. And one thing that we do here in this moment is if you are here and you are not a child of God, if you've never been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, we sing to encourage you. We share this slide each Sunday so that you have an opportunity to be reminded of the plan of salvation. We share this slide each Sunday so that if you are here and you have questions maybe about what the Bible says about the plan of salvation, how to be saved, how to be on the path to heaven above, then you can ask those questions. And notice the things that the Bible has to say, even in just a brief way here in just these few moments. Jesus shed his blood so that we could be baptized for the remission of sins. We can come in contact with that powerful blood so that we can have our sins washed away and be added to the church. If you're here this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, and you've not done that, we sing to encourage you. But you know what? That blood is powerful. We know that John talks in 1 John chapter 1 about walking in the light. And we are thankful that he saves because we do not have to live every day in fear. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, you're a Christian, but you've wandered away, then we sing to encourage you as well, that you would come back to him, that you would allow those sins to be forgiven by God as he has told us to confess them to him, to pray, to repent, and he is faithful to do just that. We are thankful for God's first law of pardon, that we can have our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. His second law of pardon, that we can be forgiven even when we mess up. And we're thankful for that church that was established, the body the people assembled here in this moment. There's no better place for us to sing a song of encouragement and to ask you to make a change in your life than amongst God's people, even now as we stand together and as we sing.